right, guys, thanks for joining me once again in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 19, where we began with Jesus' teaching on divorce. Now, if we'll recall, there were two particular rabbinical schools that had two very contrasting thoughts concerning divorce. That was the rabbinical school of Shammai versus the school of Hillel. Now, Shammai believed that divorce should take place only in the most extreme cases, such as fornication. However, Hillel believed that a man could divorce his wife basically for any reason at all. And this is the question that these particular Pharisees came and questioned Jesus about. On what grounds could a man have divorce? Jesus cleared the air and told them that divorce was determined by God to be a permanent relationship and that which God himself had established, no human being had the right to break it apart. That is the whole issue of divorce itself, except for in fornication. He used a very general term, which means sexual immorality. Now, the disciples had a difficulty in that because they were somewhat of the school of Hillel. They wanted to be able to divorce their wives and not to be permanently bound to their wives. And so they said to Jesus that it's best for a man not to be married, to remain single. If that's the case, that you have to be stuck with your wife. And so Jesus began to teach them that this case that they they themselves are talking about, that is the case of remaining single is not for everyone. Some men are single made by other men. That is, say, for instance, lords and rulers make men or castrate men because, say, for instance, they're watching over their harem and therefore so that they won't have engagement in sexual activity with their harem. They castrate these men. They are made eunuchs. Then again, he says some men are born that way. And then finally, he says some men make a self-determined uh, mindset that they want to be celibate, single for the sake of the kingdom of God. But nevertheless, each man has his own particular gift, one unto marriage, others not unto marriage. But because of the difficulty that the disciples had with this particular saying of Jesus, we see later on in the very next thing that began to happen, little children coming to Jesus and the disciples rebuking the women for bringing their children to Jesus to lay his hands on the children, pray for them to bless them. And Jesus brings out a principle that deals with the very previous issue that he was talking about the hard commandments of Jesus. But what did he say concerning the children? Allow the children to come unto him for like these children are the ones who inherit the kingdom of God. The mindset of these children, the attitude, the humility, the acceptance of what the master has to say. This is the mindset that we as God's people should have, whether it be about divorce or any other thing that we might perceive to be a difficult commandment of God. Let us have the minds of children that what, whatever our Lord shall say, we say amen. Then we continue on in chapter 19 with this rich young ruler coming to Jesus, asking what, what good thing must he do to come into the kingdom of God? He understood that there was something lacking in his spiritual walk with God and that he wanted to be assured that he would enter into the kingdom. 
Jesus, knowing what the problem was, went into the issue of loving things more than loving his neighbor, loving things more than loving God, and simply told the man, sell all that he owned, and he offered the man to become his disciple, come and follow me. The wealthy young man could not do what Jesus told him in the selling of his things, so he turned away, grieved, and walked away. And that Jesus used as an object lesson to his disciples, teaching them the importance of putting God before all things and saying, how hardly shall those who are wealthy enter into the kingdom of God. And he emphasized that again, saying what? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples being taught by the Pharisees that wealth was a sign of God's blessing, and even they themselves were looking forward to such material gain, began to say, well, then who can be saved? This is what they said unto Jesus. And Jesus wanted them also to understand as we have this ongoing teaching of the disciples that we've been talking about for the last three or four chapters. But Jesus began to say the thing that is impossible for man to do, it is possible for God. In other words, their reliance in all things to, should always be upon God because what? Only God can fix what's really wrong with us. Only God can fix the human heart, okay? But nevertheless, so Peter began dealing with this whole issue as this whole section ties in with chapter 20. So Peter begins to say, because the whole idea is they were looking forward to a blessing, a material blessing, not just a spiritual blessing. That is the blessing of salvation, the blessing of entering the kingdom, the blessing of salvation. But they were also looking for a material blessing that God would give them. So what did Peter say? He said to them, Lord, to Jesus, we have left everything. We have left houses and everything else to follow you. What then shall we have? And Peter asked this question because Jesus had just turned them off about the material blessings. What did he say unto the rich young ruler? Sell all that you have. So now he's not rich. So if, if they're not going to get rich, Peter is wondering, well, okay, then what's the benefit of following you? He's not talking about the benefit of salvation, but the benefit of glorious wealth, glorious riches. Okay. And this whole idea of concept of glory and wealth and being esteemed is going to be a part of the remainder of what we're going to teach in chapter 20. But anyway, let's just deal with this part. So Jesus told him in the regeneration, and that's the key in the regeneration. That is when the Lord sets up his kingdom, we understand this to be when the Lord Jesus returns in his second advent and he then becomes king over Israel, king over the world, ruler over Jew and all of the Gentile nations. Then he promised the disciples that they will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Or in other words, indeed, you will be blessed even materially in the coming kingdom, but just not now. Then Jesus gave them a warning. And this warning is what this principal warning is what ties chapter 19 to chapter 20 that we're going to talk about today. 
What does he say? I tell you the truth. What? The first shall be last, last first. Now, in connection to what Jesus has been talking about with the rich young ruler, first shall be last, last first. Those who are first in this world, those who are first having the riches and the wealth and the glory of this world shall but these who have the riches and wealth and the glory of this world, remember what Jesus said to that rich young ruler, sell what you have, put nothing before Jesus, put nothing before God. But what was the problem? He was unable, he was unwilling to do these things. And so therefore, by being unwilling to do these things, he will not inherit the kingdom of God. He was first in this world, but when it gets time to establish the kingdom of God, he will find himself to be last. And those who are last, those who are willing to give up things in this world, that's Peter and the disciples, willing to give up houses and land and family. They are last right now in the kingdom of the world, but when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom, they will be first in the kingdom. So that's the first part of that lesson in that the world, those who are in the world unwilling to give up all things for Christ will find themselves last. And those who are, who are willing to give up all things for Christ in the kingdom, when Jesus returns, will find themselves to be first. But not only that, so, so that gets us ready for chapter 20, because what Jesus is going to do in chapter 20 is, as he's just dealt with the world and how the world will find itself last and the disciples will find themselves first, he continues his teaching to the disciples to understand even more so their place in the kingdom and how they should see and understand their place in the kingdom in the future, as well as how the Lord will deal with others in the kingdom. And that's the point of chapter 20 as we come into chapter 20, how he will deal with others besides the apostles, what apostles, those who will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, because that is what a position of great glory and prestige. But anyway, enough of that. But with that mindset, first will be last, last, first of the world, the world first in the world, find themselves last in the kingdom, but also the continuing teaching of that first last amongst the disciples, even at, if you'll let me say it this way, amongst us, Jesus continues chapter 20. It is a continuation of chapter 19 for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went again. He went out about the sixth and the ninth hour did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, 
because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with that which is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Okay, so now we get into Jesus speaking to his uh, disciples in a parabolic way. Again, dealing with the principle of what? The first should be last and the last first. But now the, the coin, he's flipped the coin. The first time he talked about the first should be last and the last first. The first, that is at the end of chapter 19, the rich young ruler. These are the wicked. These are the evil ones who find themselves to be last in the kingdom. Or in other words, not last in the kingdom per se, but those who don't even enter the kingdom. Because remember, that was the very idea of the rich young ruler. What must I do? He wanted to guarantee he entered the kingdom. But the point here is first usage of first shall be last. Those who have the great things in the world first be last in the kingdom, won't even enter the kingdom last. Now Jesus is talking about in this particular parable, in, the, in this parable, all those who are a part of this parable are those who have and who will enter the kingdom. Those who in particular, notice how the parable goes, who are laborers in the kingdom, because that's what the apostles are. They are laborers in the kingdom. So everybody in this parable here, where Jesus is giving this instance of first will be last, last, first, these are all saved people. In the beginning, at the end of 19, they were not saved people. The first were the unsaved, okay? But here, they are all saved first as well as last. But what is the point that Jesus is trying to make? Let's simply look into the parable. So he styles himself, himself and what he will do, he calls it the kingdom of heaven is like. And what is it like? A man who begins to go into the marketplace to hire people. And the first people that he begins to hire early in the morning, and you can consider that as the 6 a.m. crew. So he goes out early in the morning to hire people to work in the vineyard. The bottom line is here. This, this, or should I even say, these are the apostles. These are the first disciples. They are the ones who were called early 
in the beginning of Jesus's ministry to labor for Jesus. So this is the ones who are early called of Jesus. Now, what you have to see, and I don't have time to go into great depths of this parable because it, it can demand in itself a separate teaching all by itself. But what I want you to understand is what is being implied in the parable, and I hope you see it as we move along. There is an eschatological preview bend in Jesus' teaching. That is, as Jesus is speaking to his apostles, the 12, the 12 that he just said are going to sit on the thrones. Remember, this is the first generation of believers, these apostles. These are the early believers. These are the original 12 apostles and the work that they would do and the work that they would bear. That's why the, is he's styling this parable. Go out early in the morning and take these first men and put them to work in the vineyard. The working in the vineyard is the working in the church of God, doing the work and the ministry that God has set for the church to do. They are the early ones to go. And that's in and the very end. And I know I'm being a little premature, but I tell you what, let me just take it like he, get, he gave it. So he goes out. This is the apostles. All right. The early ones to go out. Then again, and he promises to pay them a denarius, which is the common daily pay for a day's labor. It was the common pay for a day's labor at that time, one denarius. So this is styled as their reward. So he promises, he calls them out to work. He promised them to give them a day's labor pay. So this was the reward that they should expect. So this is the idea. So can you understand what Jesus is saying? So he calls his disciples and he tells them uh, what he wants them to do to work. And he promises to pay them. He promised to give them a reward. Now even go back in your mind to when Peter asked chapter 19, Lord, what will we have? And what did Jesus promise them that he would pay them? You see how it works? What he promised that you would sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the promise to pay. So even in here is styled in that same sense. Go out. I'll give you a denarii. This is what I promise to pay you. Then he goes to the second group and there he goes to nine o'clock group, the nine o'clock group and the 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock group, the third hour and the sixth hour, that's the 9 a.m. and the 12 p.m. And he goes out into the marketplace and brings them to work, hires them to work in the vineyard. But notice what he says to them, or should I even say what he does not say to them. He does not say, I will give you a denarii, a full a day's labor, a day's pay for a day's labor. He, because why? He's bringing them in at nine and 12. So he just simply said to them, I'll pay you what is right. So he brings them into the vineyard and pay to, uh, into the vineyard to work. Then he even goes out even as late as the 11th hour. Now we can consider that basically to be 5 p.m. because there's only one more hour to work. And he asked them, 
Why have you been standing around all day long? They said to him, no man came out to hire us because they're standing in the all day long waiting for somebody to come and hire them. No man has come and hired them. So again, he does the same thing with them. He tells them to go into his vineyard and work. So there's only one group, and that's what you need to see, that Jesus made a promise to pay a set amount. And that was the ones who went out at the 6 a.m. early in the morning, the first crew. The rest of them, he just simply said, I'll pay you what is right. So at the end of the day, what happens? It was time for pay because these are day laborers. And so therefore they get paid at the end of that work day. So the owner calls, he tells his foreman to call those who labor for him and time and pay them and start. He tells them, and it's very, is unique what Jesus said. Call the ones who came last, start with them and begin to pay them. And so when he called them, he called the one who came at the 11th hour. That is the one who only worked one hour, all, starting with them all the way up to the ones who worked. The last ones that he would call is the ones who worked all day long, who he called at the very first. So when he called the ones at the, who worked only one hour and he began to pay them, he gave them remarkably a Daenerys. That is remarkable. Why? They only worked one hour, but he still paid them for a whole day's labor. And what did he also do for the rest? As he worked his way up, he paid them still the same thing. And so as the, the first group who came earliest saw him paying a, a denarii, for a, a day's labor for this, they began to think in their mind, if he paid them that much a day's labor, I know by the time he gets to us who worked all day long, we're going to get even more than that. We're going to get more than that. So by the time that he came to them, he paid them only a denarius. So they, they stuck their lips out and they began to complain to the landowner and they were saying to him, they said, what in the world is going on? Why are you paying us a denarii? And these men, you paid them a denarii and they only worked an hour and we worked the whole day. We bear the whole, the heat of the whole day. So you have to see the spiritual tone of all that's going on. We, the apostles labored and we worked. We, the apostles labored and we suffered and we worked all our lives. And here these men come. Now here is the eschatological sense implication. Here come other Christians later on in the age, or we can even say, and, and okay, I'm going to calm down. And we can even say the eschatological being, and I, that's why I can't get into this with great depths. But when I say eschatological, it simply means pointing towards the last days, pointing toward the last days, even up to the point where Jesus begins is near to come back, where Jesus is near to come back. That's why he styles it because, okay, the Christian age, the age of the church, is a long age from the time of the apostles up until the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus 
is not coming until Revelation chapter 19. Okay, so let's see that. So there's a long age throughout the age of the church. The Lord is going to call people to work for him and to work in his vineyard, to serve his church and to serve his people. He's going to call people as early as the apostles in the first early morning and all throughout the church age and the third watch in the, at the sixth watch, even up until the 11th hour, that is the final time, the 11th hour, right up until the time when Jesus gets ready to come back. For example, Revelation chapter 11, talking about the two witnesses, for example, Revelations, I believe is chapter six and seven with the sealing of the 144,000 Jews, Jewish males, whose job it will be to carry the gospel to the whole world. And these Jews will only be carrying the gospel for a short period of time because we're in the tribulation period. And this is why I hate to go into it, but we are in the tribulation period, which is a period of seven years. Great tribulation is three and a half years. These 144,000, which will be sealed for the duration of the entire period and seven years, which if you look at the church age, seven years is a very short period of time. These men will be called to minister, to labor in Jesus's vineyard, and they will be paid when Jesus sets up his kingdom. So here's what I want you to see. See the eschatological implication involved in what Jesus is teaching. Whether it's the first disciples, apostles called as early from the beginning of the church, or the final ones, laborers who will be called at the very end of the period, right before Jesus comes back and sets up the kingdom, whether it's for those who labor for a long time or those who labor for a short time. All of that is entailed in what Jesus is trying to teach in this parable. But the bottom line is the grievousness of those who labored early and labored long and suffered early and suffered long. They thought that they had a right to receive more. And Jesus said to them, what? He says, first of all, I'm not treating you unjustly. Did I not agree with you to give you a denarii? Didn't, isn't that what we agreed upon? And so therefore I'm right. Now let's look at chapter 19. Jesus can say to his disciples, what to those 12 specifically didn't I promise that you would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel? Yes, I promise you that. And I owe you no more. I owe you no more even though you're the ones who were called early, even though you're the ones who labored long for my name's sake. Yet I have given you what I have promised you, those 12 thrones. So we can see that fulfillment specifically, but let's continue on what Jesus was talking about. And then he began to say to them, 
Is your eye envious? Evil is actually the word. Is your eye envious because I am good? Agathos. And I love that. And I don't want to get into all of that, but it takes us even back to what Jesus was saying. Remember the ruler came to Jesus, good master. What good thing must I do? Jesus said to him, there is none good but God. There is none agathos. There is none good by nature. Notice Jesus brings in this concept again, talking about himself. Is your eye evil because I am what? Good by nature. Here is, they translate the term generous. But actually, the word is agathos, good by nature. In other words, he's saying his response to those who came late in the day, late to late, latest in the day, is based upon himself. It is based upon the fact that he, our Lord, is good by nature. And so therefore, he says two things. I can do what I want with my own things. And number two, I am good by nature and therefore I can be generous to these. And so there he teaches a lesson to the disciples. That is, he teaches a lesson to the 12. He teaches a lesson to the children of the kingdom to us that he is good to all of his children. And the primary lesson that he is teaching is don't be surprised when the kingdom does come. Don't be surprised about what the blessings that he will give to all those in the kingdom. And that is when I say to all those in the kingdom, let's stay with the parable. He's going to give out blessings. Let's start. Let's start. Let's start. Let's start with the apostles who sit on 12 thrones. Not only will you be blessed in this manner, others will be too. Others who will serve what? At the third hour, sixth hour, even the 11th hour, all throughout the church age. Others who serve God's people, Jesus's people in the church will be blessed Liken unto you, my apostles, liken unto you who sit on thrones. That's why when we turn to the book of Revelation and we see the return of Jesus, I'm in Revelation chapter 20, and Jesus begins to set up his kingdom. What does Revelation chapter 20 say? And I saw thrones and they sat on them. This is not simply the 12, but this is those throughout the church age whom Jesus called also sitting on thrones. So you see the point that Jesus is trying to make my 12, not only will you sit on thrones, there will be others who come at different times who serve the kingdom. They also will sit on thrones even those who I call at the very last moment, the two witnesses or the 144,000 who only serve for a short while, they too, out of them, those, they too will also be sitting on thrones. And so therefore what? 
The first shall be last, the last first. In other words, there are those who even will be called last. Those who will serve only just for a little while. And even they shall be exalted to great position. So when Jesus uses first shall be last in this scenario, he's talking about how though and all of the first shall be last in this scenario are all saved people. But what those saved people who serve Jesus even only for a little while will be given great authority and glory in the kingdom. And that's what he's teaching here. That's how he contrasts first should be last, last, first, different in what he was talking about in 19. To recap it, first should be last, last, first in 19 with the rich young ruler dealt with those first in this world. These are sinners who did not receive Jesus, but they were first, they'll find themselves last. They will not be in the kingdom. Then first should be last, last, first, in chapter 20 is dealing with, he's saying, now, Peter, what I'm saying to you is, don't be surprised. It's going to be other people I call. They're saved, and they're going to be called later on in the kingdom program, and they will be blessed just like you. They'll be called last, they'll be called last, but they'll also share a similar blessing with you. They'll be made first, okay? <laughs> All right, that's the beauty of that. So that was a, not so much as a warning, but a teaching how those who will be called later in the church program will also share similar blessing like the apostles. They won't sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, but they'll be judging other people, namely even the Gentile nations. Okay, but let's continue. Dealing with the same issue of the coming kingdom and having authority in the kingdom, we see once again, as we've been telling you earlier, if you've been following the teachings, that the disciples uh, still didn't quite understand that Jesus had to go to Jerusalem and die. They didn't understand the kingdom program. They were thinking that the kingdom was still yet to come. And what we need to understand is this, at this juncture, Jesus is on his way towards Jerusalem and he's on his way towards Jerusalem for the last time, because as he comes to Jerusalem, he will there be crucified and rise from the dead. But the, the disciples didn't understand this. They still expected the establishment of this Jewish kingdom. And so we find here that in, in the continuation of Jesus teaching to them, as he himself is headed towards Jerusalem, he once again emphasizes his upcoming death and resurrection. He makes that clear to them this about this kingdom program. Okay. But anyway, so let's just go to verse number 17. As Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, what? He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves and on the way he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock, 
and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Now, in Matthew's account, this is about the third time that Jesus reveals to his disciple about his upcoming death and resurrection. So he makes this abundantly clear so that they should understand and expect this thing that the kingdom program that they are expecting the upcoming Jewish kingdom and the glory. Cause we're going to talk about that even as we work on chapter 20 that they are looking for, for themselves is not going to quite work that way, but nevertheless, he tries, he prepares them for his upcoming death. And so he tells them he's going to go up to Jerusalem and it is going to be at Jerusalem that the Jewish leaders, the priests, chief priests and the scribes, that is basically the Sanhedrin will condemn Jesus. And so he's met, so notice, they will condemn him to death. So he lets them to see that this will be a judicial form of judgment that will be brought against Jesus. That will bring together some form of a court and condemn Jesus to death. So he's, he's now making them aware. He's giving more information about what's going to take place with the events surrounding his death and resurrection. There will be some sort of a court. They'll condemn him to death. What would they also do? Hand Jesus over to the Gentiles, to the Gentile rulers where he will be mocked and then even scourged, and that's going to be that brutal whipping that the Roman soldiers would give Jesus. He will be scourged, crucified, and then afterward resurrected from the dead. So he gives them more information of what will take place in Jerusalem surrounding his condemnation, death, and resurrection. But once again, the, we see notice here now. The disciples didn't say much. There was nothing that was written that was said about the disciples. And no doubt it was just water on a duck's back. It just didn't resonate with the disciples, even though Jesus was very uh, 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 faithful in preparing them for his upcoming death. And at the same time, let us understand this issue about the kingdom the kingdom that they are expecting. Notice Peter again, let's go back. Rich young ruler, the scenario, Peter, what will we have sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But remember what Jesus says, you're not going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes, of Israel now, but in the regeneration when the son of man sets up his kingdom. But that's the confusion. They are still expecting the coming kingdom. And this is why we see the very next scenario of what's taking place. This is why we're going to see what happens next. The expectation that Jesus is about to set up the kingdom, which he is not. And also dealing with the issue of what going all the way back to chapter 18, who is the greatest? They can't get that out of the system who will rise. They can't get that out of the kingdom the coming glory for themselves. And that's the main point. That's the problem. And so we see the next section. And so let me just simply get into it. And then I'll tell you why we're talking about it in this way. Verse 20, 
Then the mother of, mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the 10 became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall become your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay. That this section is rich in the things that Jesus is teaching and also beautiful. So what happens? Notice again, the idea, the coming kingdom of the Lord, the mindset, or should I even say the confusion of the disciples in thinking soon Jesus will set up his earthly kingdom, the kingdom of the Jewish expectation, which is not that time has passed ever since Matthew chapter 12, but still that's their mindset. The heart, the wrong heart that the disciples have, who is great in the kingdom, who will be great. Notice Jesus already said to the disciples, you will sit on, that is the 12. You will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they all know they're going to sit on 12 thrones. But even so, John and James desire even a greater uh, position of authority. It's not enough to sit on 12 thrones. They even want greater positions of power. So what do they do? They get their mother to come to Jesus and mama, he'll do it for you. And she bows to Jesus. Notice the bowing of Jesus. The bowing of Jesus here is bowing to him as a servant will bow to a king. So she comes to Jesus as the king. What is the mindset? This is what I keep telling you guys. We expect Jesus to set up his kingdom. Bow to the king. The king, Jesus asks, what do you want? She gives the king her request. One of my two sons sit on your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom. She ain't thinking about the kingdom way, 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 way down the road and all of the stuff that is, has been spoken of in the scriptures that's to come. 
No, she is thinking of a kingdom that is soon to come. And this Jesus right now getting ready to set up that very kingdom. And she wants her son to be sitting at the right and left hand of power. Now, whichever son he chooses to sit at the right hand, the ultimate hand or the left hand, the second hand is his choice. But give them the top. Notice what I said to you guys one earlier. Already, they're going to sit on thrones. Mm -mm. But James and John moved their mother to make this request because they not only want to sit on thrones, but they want a power of authority greater than all the apostles, greater than the rest of the 10. Again, who is the greatest even amongst us, the apostles? Show us this by letting James and John, because we want to be the greatest. We want, that's the point. We want to be the greatest. So therefore, make us the greatest. Make us to sit by your right hand and your left hand. So Jesus responds, not simply to the mother, but to the disciples who are really making the request and ask them. First of all, he tells them, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea because what you are asking involves something. And let me just simply tell you now, glory involves suffering. Glory involves suffering. They want great glory. And Jesus is going to let them know the greater the glory, the greater the suffering. It goes hand in hand. You don't know what you're asking for. He says, number, he said, can you drink of the cup that I am about to drink? See, notice he keeps fresh in mind. He puts it fresh in their mind. I'm telling you, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be condemned, handed over, crucified, raised from the dead, but I'm going to suffer. Can you drink this cup that I am about to drink? Can you suffer? Are you willing to suffer in this way that I am about to suffer? They quickly answer, yes, we can quickly without thinking. And that's why Jesus said, and in the Greek, Jesus says, indeed you will. That's what the Greek says that indeed you will drink of the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink. So he lets the disciples know James and John you will indeed suffer like I am about to suffer. Cause we find out in Acts chapter 12, what James was put to death by the sword. And James, I do believe was the very first apostle to be, to suffer in this way. James was the first one to be killed, fulfilling the word of Jesus. Indeed, you will drink the cup. And we also know that John, the apostle, suffered also. And we even see John even suffering in his imprisonment on the Isle of Patmos. But nevertheless, both of them, even all of them suffered, drank the cup of suffering that Jesus drank. For what? Suffering yields glory. But the whole point is they weren't thinking about suffering. They only thought about glory. They were self-serving again. Get, they need to get out of their head. 
who is the greatest. They need to get this mess out of their heart. That's why Jesus brought this thing, a little child. See this little child? Think of yourself like a little child. But even now, they just cannot get over this whole issue. But let me finish on. And Jesus continued to say, concerning who will sit at my right hand and my left hand, that's not my determination to make. That's not mine. It is one, a determination that is predetermined by my father. He will determine who sits on my right hand and in my left hand. That's a beautiful thing because what? If we go back to the very previous parable that Jesus gave, remember the previous parable in which he himself was giving out things. Remember giving out honor and glory to his, uh, to those who labored for him, the, the denarii a day. That's what they mean by that. That's what I mean by that. The denarii a day is the reward that Jesus himself gives to those who labored for him, whether early in the morning, like the first apostles or 11 in the evening with one hour, like those who would be late in the eschatological program of the Lord and only labor for a short time, but nevertheless, they receive reward from the Lord Jesus himself from the Lord Jesus himself. That's the point that I'm driving home that you need to see. They receive a reward from Jesus here. Jesus is letting them know to sit on the right hand or the left hand. There are some rewards in the kingdom, notably to literally sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he sets up the kingdom, not the 12 thrones, not the 12 thrones, not the thrones of Revelation chapter 20, but right hand and left hand. These particular uh, places of honor are determined by the father and not by the son himself. So there are certain things in the kingdom that will be given by God the father. There are certain things that will be given the earlier part of chapter 20 by God, the son. So certain rewards that Jesus will give out and certain predetermined rewards that God himself will give out. So with this, okay, that is James and John getting their mama to come to Jesus, trying to get one of them to sit at the ultimate hand of power, not Jesus hand of power, but right in the left hand, on the throne under Jesus. The other disciples saw this and they became angry and indignant. And Jesus saw that and seeing how the other disciples start, got a bad taste in their mouth because of what John and James have done. Jesus called them to themselves. Jesus now tries to make peace and start teaching them. But let me make a point about this too. The anger of the disciples. No doubt they are hot because they didn't think of it themselves. Or in other words, James and John beat them to the punch. <laughs> it is so sad and so true. James and John did what they wanted to do, but James and John just simply did it first. And Jesus seeing the division that this is causing. And this is something that I want to teach even you guys, the division when you, when we clamor to be the greatest, when we clamor 
for glory amongst one another. It creates division. It causes jealousy. It moves one another to jealousy and envy. And this is what's happening in the hearts of the disciples. So we need to be careful that we too. Okay. I tell you what, let me say what Jesus talked about and then I'll come to it and do a little preaching and exposition on what Jesus is trying to say to us even today. So Jesus called the disciples. He see that this is causing a problem with the disciples as a whole. And they got a problem with James and John. So he says, Notice how the Gentiles and we can understand Gentile with respect to the unsaved. But Jesus means Gentile. Gentile rulers do. They lord. They have a dominating authority over one another. And that's what Jesus said. They lord over each other. They have a dominating authority over one another. So He's teaching, imagine he's teaching them, the disciples sitting right before. That's how the Gentiles do it with this dominating authority, with this whole issue of clamoring to be the best, to be the number one so that they can sit in some rule of authority and to tell the other to do this and to do that. And they are, are fighting to get to this place of position for authority so that they can dominate so that they can exercise power and authority over those under them. This is how the Gentile, this is how the unsaved rule over one another, Jesus says. Then he says, but it will not be this way amongst you. The kingdom of heaven is not like this. Those, what? What does he continue to say? Those who are the greatest amongst you shall be the servant of all ministers of all. And those who have a desire, like we see James and John, what is James and John? They got a desire to sit at the right hand and the left hand. They have a desire to be the greatest ones of all. And those who will be the greatest amongst you shall be the slaves of all. So Jesus reverses the script. He says what? My lesson to you, this is how it shall be done amongst you. You will not be like the unsaved Gentile world fighting for position, fighting to be the greatest over all the rest of the ones in the church body. Don't be this way. Number one, look at the 10. It causes strife. It causes division. It causes bitterness in the body of Jesus Christ. He says, no, but whomsoever will be the great ones amongst you, you will be the ministers. That's the word literally here used. You will be the servants to all of God's people. Those who are gifted, those who are what? Gifted to be the great ones. You are gifted for the purpose of serving. You are not gifted for the purpose of being served. You are gifted for the purpose of serving. That's why he said this. It is not way to be this way amongst you just as what? The same example, the son of man, he who is truly great 
indeed great, just as he came not only to not to be served, but to serve just as those who are great amongst you. God has determined to position you in the body in a sense of greatness. Don't have this mindset that this greatness is to be desired so that you can tell folk what to do. Be greater than other folk. Lord it over them simply to exercise domineering control over them. That's not what we do. That's not why you are placed in the body. Your greatness you have been placed in the body for the purpose of serving the others. And if you have a mindset to be great, if you want to be great in the church, if you want to do, see, that's what John and James wanted. If you really want this greatness, then understand what your position will be. You will therefore become a slave. So Jesus has completely flipped the script. They're thinking sitting on the throne and being all of that. Jesus has reversed it from those sitting on the throne to those who are now become slaves in chains, serving others. And that's the mindset. So Jesus is teaching his disciples here. The principle of greatness is the principle of service. And he is also dealing with the heart. We need to get rid of this heart because this mess is prevalent in the church today. Get rid of this ugly, stinking feeling in your heart, wanting to be better than, wanting to be greater than other saints of God. Get rid of this mindset of, you see, God does indeed, Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, indeed has gifted others to be great in the kingdom, to be great in the church. Jesus indeed has gifted, gifted those to be greater. Like he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I don't have time to get into it, but he says, first apostles and apostles. First, that's the greatest one, apostles and prophets, then pastors and teachers. Oh my God, guys. The next greatest gifts in the church is pastors and teachers. What am I trying to say? Indeed, Jesus has gifted those great in the church, but you are not gifted so that other folk can serve you. Your mindset is not to have some domineering attitude that the folk in the church serve you. But when God has given you great gifts, have the humble mindset like a child, have the right mindset. You are given gifted with this greatness in the church, not to make you great. You are given this great gift to serve others. And how should you understand and see yourself in the church in all of your giftedness? You are a slave to the least one in the church. 
That's the mindset that you should have. If you want to be great in the church, understand you are the slave of all. You serve all of them. We serve Jesus by serving the weak ones, the least ones, the ones who do not know the humble sheep and the humble lamb of God's house. So get rid of this mindset and get rid of this desire for trying to be more than other people. And some of you listening to me want to be great. Some of you women, women want to be more than all of that greater than men too. It's with the men too, but I see it a lot in the women in the church. Get rid of that. And first of all, you moving in the wrong direction. Let me say that without getting into greater detail for some of the ladies. But the mindset for God's people, think nothing of yourself. And if God has gifted you, he has gifted you for the purpose of serving and not so you can sit on some so-called throne in the church and everybody else, yes, sir, no, sir, and all. I understand respect. I understand order. But we need to get it together. Okay, enough said. And so now, let me say this. So enough preaching here. Let's get to the verse number 28. So I want to bring this part in. So Jesus says, he lets them now see, because remember that Jesus has been talking about his death, his death. And it over and over, at least about three times. But it's only at this point now that Jesus tells the reason for his death. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, talking about this thing about greatness, but to serve and what? Give his life a ransom for many. Now Jesus tells why he dies. He's been saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die, be resurrected. But he hadn't said to this point why he's going to suffer and die. Now he says, as a substitute, my life will be a ransom for many. The many will be those who believe in Jesus. I will die in their place. Satisfy the judgment of God for them on their behalf so that they will not have to die. This is why I'm dying to give my life in a substitutionary way so that they don't have to die as a ransom for many. Okay. So now he just lets us see as recorded in Matthew, the reason for his death. So we've been working out all the way out through this whole point here, Matthew chapter 20, all the way in the coming of Jesus continuation, First, last, last, first. Jesus always deals with this thing about pride. And I've said it before. I said a million times. I'm saying it again. Hate pride. Don't just simply hate the pride in other folk. Hate the pride that is in yourself. All of us have this stinking pride in ourselves. And that's what we can kind of see Jesus dealing with the issue. Hold all the way from chapter 19, first, last, last, first. The evil of the evil people of the world who won't let go of the riches, first. 
end up being last. They don't get into the kingdom. Then a warning to his people, or even should I say education, chapter 20. Those coming out call early in the morning, 11th hour, what do we see? They all receive blessings from the Lord, glory from the Lord. And then we even see what uh, uh, Jesus talking about his death. Everything about Jesus, he informs them, he informs them, upcoming death in Jerusalem. But all of this thing is about suffering. All of this thing is about suffering. True, true glory is only attained in suffering. What happens next? Mother James and John come to Jesus bowing down. Why? Because those two boys want glory. What does Jesus teach them? What does Jesus teach us? The pathway to glory is through suffering. It's through suffering, the very thing we don't want to do. Help us, Lord. Even help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Because I resist suffering, but oh, I love glory. But nevertheless, Jesus began to teach, get over this sinfulness in yourselves about wanting to be the greatest. Get over your, this sinfulness about wanting to be greater than your brother. Understand true greatness. Understand that true greatness is in serving. True greatness in the body of Christ, in the believers, is being a slave to the believers. You boys, you've already been arguing along the wayside who is the greatest. You need to get over this. And this leads us to the very last section in Matthew chapter 20. It is the failure of the disciples to truly absorb and comprehend greatness. The parts that they should play, the mindset that they should have concerning the great, who is the greatest. The mindset we need to have today that I need to have. I ain't nobody. You ain't nobody. Whatever God has given you in whatever greatness it is to serve the body of Christ, not to try to rule over people or to think that you somebody. They're not getting it. We don't get it. And why don't they get it? Let me end chapter 20, verse number 29. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them, be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. So notice how Matthew throws in this scenario. But once again, let's just see. Le they were leaving Jericho, that is leaving out of old Jericho, coming into new Jericho. But even more important, going to Jerusalem where Jesus will be crucified and resurrected from the dead. Soon and very soon, the Lord will go through great suffering. In just a few days from here, Jesus will suffer and die. But nevertheless, 
going up into Jericho, large crowd following him and there two blind men. The speaker for the two blind men was Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, but two blind men hearing of Jesus, hearing of this, this tumult, this crowd coming as what's going on. They say, Jesus uh, uh, of Nazareth, the, the prophet is coming. And when they hear that it's Jesus, they cry out to him, Jesus, son of David. And the crowd try to calm him down. I don't know why the crowd tried to calm him down. Don't disturb the mouth. They cried, even though Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They got Jesus' attention with all of that hooping and a hollering. I like it. I like it. The crowd told him to be quiet, but they cried even the louder. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Can I preach a little bit? Lord Jesus, we need you. And they cried it ever the loudest. Lord Jesus, we need you. Jesus, son of David. They cried loud enough that they got Jesus' attention. And Jesus called them, what do you want me to do? And they just simply said, we want to see you again. Lord, open our eyes. Jesus healed them. Let it be according to your faith. Your faith has made you whole. And Jesus opened their eyes. The question becomes, okay, fine. Is Matthew just simply giving us this to give us another occasion of Jesus having compassion on two blind men and heal them? Or is Matthew trying to say something else? Notice how this event is uh, here after chapters 18, 19, even chapter 20 here. Mindset of the disciples. Who is the greatest? Mindset of James and uh, 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 James and jo Jesus teaching. I'm sorry. Jesus is teaching about their first should be last, last, first. All that I told you guys, even warning his own the disciples about the upcoming kingdom. What? Even amongst you, first should be last, last, first. Be careful of what you're thinking about one another. Even amongst one another, there should be even amongst some of you, there will be glory given. Even glory to given to those who didn't serve as long. Be careful that you don't become, yo, you don't get your feelings hurt. You don't get an attitude when I begin to bless other people in the kingdom, in the church, just like I blessed you. Be careful. Be careful. Then what you got, James and John, Lord, we want to be great in the kingdom right hand. Your heart ain't right. What's the problem? Jesus, it shall not be the same amongst you. The Gentiles act they want to be great. They want to exercise dominion. They want to run folk. They want to run folk. They want to rule over folk and dominate folk. This mindset you have, but this mindset you don't need to have. What's the problem? Go, my God, I love it. What's happening here? Moving on to Jericho, you see two blind men. What's the problem? You, my disciples, are blind. That's your problem. You, the church, are blind. That's your problem. You got this whole thing about who will be the greatest, who gonna rise to the top. You're clamoring for position. You're clamoring for power. 
Let your gift make room for you. Don't try to run things. Don't try to run folk. Let your gift do it for you. Don't have this desire in your heart to dominate other saints, to dominate the body, to rule over the, get this crap out of you. When you act this way, it is because you are blind and you need to call out to God when your heart is moving it and some of you is in you. You seek position. You seek power. That's because you seek to dominate over other Christians. What did Jesus just tell you? This shall not be for you. If you're going to be great, seek to serve. That's the mindset. Not having other folks serve you while you sit on some pretended throne in the church, but become a slave to the rest of the church. And some of you need to be like these two blind men. We need to call on the Lord saying, Lord Jesus, help me. Why? My heart ain't right. Lord Jesus, help me. Why? My mind ain't right. Why? Because there is something in me. There is an evil in me. What did Jesus say earlier to those one who worked in the vineyard? Is your heart envious? Because I am good. Because I am generous. There is an evil in us that want to dominate over the saints. And you need to recognize this that's in you that want to rise up. You want to call yourself apostle. You want to call yourself prophet. It, you ain't calling yourself that because you want to serve. You calling yourself this mess because you want people to think that you are great. You're calling yourself that because you want people to bow down before you like you somebody great in the body of Jesus. You need to change your heart because you are blind. You don't even know what you really need to be. Jesus said it ain't going to be like that among us. We need to serve when God has given you great gifts and some of you confused about the gift, the gift you think you got, you ain't got. But when God has indeed gifted those amongst us is not to be glorified in the body, but to serve his body, his members, his lamb. And let me say this in a final point. Learn not to be envious. Jesus has gifted certain ones in the body of Christ from the time of the apostles. They have a unique position, sit on 12 thrones. I won't sit on the one of the 12 thrones. Those 12 thrones already got people to sit on to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now I may sit on by the grace of God, a throne judging one of the Gentiles, but not of Israel. We need to learn whatever gifts that God has given an individual. That is the will of God. That is the sovereign will of God. Amen. And we need to say 
Amen. Whatever God has given George, that's what God has given George because that's the role that God has determined George to play. And if God hadn't given you those gifts or as many gifts or whatever, or whatever, if God hadn't given you those things, you still wish the best for George and you want George to exercise his gifts to the fullest and you want George to serve Jesus and serve the body of Christ to the fullest of his ability. In other words, don't you be envious of George. Whatever God has gifted another individual, be thankful and not envious. And whatever gifts God has given you, be content. Whatever place of service God has given you in the body of Christ, be content and not envious. Don't be James and John trying to rise up to greater power. Sit your tail down somewhere and use and serve with the gifts and in the capacity that God has given you. Lord, help us not to be envious of one another, not to be jealous of one another, and to understand and acknowledge the fact that God has given different members in the body to play different roles. God has given men to be pastors over thousands. God has given men to be pastors over hundreds. God has given men to be pastors over tens. Let us not be envious of one another, but let us be faithful in whatever ministry God has given us, whatever role God has given us, you be faithful in that be content in that. Okay. God bless you. God bless you enough preaching on that. But I think we did drive the point home. And that's the point of Jesus. The first shall be last. The last first. Let the saints of God, number one, understand God has given many roles for his people throughout the ages. And whatever role that God has given his people, let us faithfully serve in those roles. And let us not clamor because of the wickedness in our flesh to rise to position of greatness so that we can rule over other saints. Mm -mm. Let us have the right mind that God has called us to serve. God has called us to be slaves to the rest of the body. And if for some reason we have not come to that understanding, let us be like those two blind men. Let us call and call and call out unto the Lord until he does something wonderful, until he opens our eye, until he changes our heart to understand the role that we really need to play and that we understand how we really need to be. All right, guys, I love that. And I ask the Lord, even as I'm preaching to you, work on my crooked heart. But we thank the Lord for his word. I thank you guys for joining me in the teaching of Matthew chapter 20. Once again, if you find these lessons, these teachings to be a blessing to you, come along with me 
and support this ministry with a monetary support. I also ask your support in your prayers, your blessings, but also to support the ministry. First Corinthians chapter nine, 2 Corinthians nine itself, but support the ministry with a donation, monthly donation. That's what I'm really asking you guys so that we can continue to bring these teachings to you via YouTube and notice guys, I've turned off, there are no advertisements. So I'm not trying to get any money from YouTube with the advertisement so that you can watch these teachings without the constant interruptions from YouTube. So come along with me, partner with me, all right? And I appreciate all of those who have already joined with me in support. Anyway, join me next time as we move into chapter 21 as we get ready to come into Jerusalem. Remember, the whole idea is Jesus' face is pointing to Jerusalem where what? He will die and be resurrected from the dead. So join us as we get into chapter 21 and our Lord moves into the very end of his ministry. See you next time.